The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Good morning. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is the last message in these series. So we come to verse 7, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, which says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let us pray. A gracious God and our Father in light of this world in which we, we live, it is unwise for us to be unrealistic about what it means to live in this fallen world, in this life under the sun. And yet it is a sin to be cynical in light of the great promises that you give to your people and the wonderful gifts that you pour out upon us. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would teach us about what love is, what real love is, and what it does. And especially, Father, how we see these things in the gospel of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I want to read you a uh, couple excerpts from some letters written from a a young lady who is engaged uh, to her man. And she writes, My dear, dear Charlie, I dare not tell you what it costs me to say what I'm about to do, but I am sure you know me well enough by this time to believe that it is only because your happiness is far more precious to me than my own that I have decided to write you this letter. I am sick, and perhaps I'm going to die. If this is so, it would be very sweet to have your love go with me to the very gates of death and beautify and glorify my path thither. But what a weary task this would be to you, my, my poor Charlie. And so, if you think it best, and it would relieve you of any care and pain, I will release you from our engagement and set you free. Your little Katie. And then he responds. My dear Kate, what a generous, self-sacrificing little thing you are. I always thought so, but now you have given me a noble proof of it. I will admit that I have been disappointed to find your constitution so poor, and it has been very dull sitting and hearing you cough, especially as I was reminded of the long and tedious illness through which my sister and myself had to nurse our mother. I vowed then never to marry a consumptive woman, and I thank you for making it so easy for me to bring our engagement to an end. My bright hopes are blighted, and it will be long before I shall find another to fill your place." I need not say how much I sympathize with you in this disappointment. I hope the consolations of religion will now be yours. Your notes, the lock of your hair, etc., I return with this. I will not reproach you for the pain you have cost me, and I know it is not your fault that your health has become so frail. I remain your sincere friend, Charles Underhill. And then she writes in response this, Mr. Underhill, Sir, The scales have fallen from my eyes, and I see you at last just as you are. Since my note to you on Sunday last, I have had a consultation of physicians, 
and they all agree that my disease is not of an alarming character and that I shall soon recover. But I thank God that before it was too late, you have been revealed to me just as you are, a heartless, selfish, shallow creature, unworthy of the love of a true-hearted woman and unworthy even of your own self-respect. I gave you an opportunity to withdraw from our engagement in full faith, loving you so truly that I was ready to go trembling to my grave alone if you shrank from sustaining me to it. But I see now that I did not dream for one moment that you would take me at my word and leave me to my fate. I thought I loved a man and could lean on him when strength failed me. I know now that I loved a mere creature of my imagination. Take back your letters. I loathe the sight of them. Take back the ring and find, if you can, a woman who will never be sick, never out of spirits, and who will never die. Thank heaven it is not me. So ends her letter. And here we see, perhaps, um, in this uh, interesting way, uh, somewhat of what our uh, verse this morning is, is speaking of here. And that there are, there are two errors when it comes to love. And one we see here exposed in this, this man's love that he was guilty of idealism, which is not a real love. It's overly romanticized. It's not able to deal with the, the things of this world. But there's another ditch as well, another problem, and that is cynicism. And those that, through disappointments and hurt, become skeptical uh, that love exists at all. And 1 Corinthians thirteen seven addresses both of these things. First of all, in what it says, that love bears all things and endures all things. Here we have two words, but really one idea. That love bears all things means that love has its eyes open. It's not naive. It's not gullible. In other words, we know what it means to live in a world of sinners and that we have to withstand many, many frustrations, that life is full of setbacks. And the reason why is because life is full of people that sin and lie and disappoint us. As L. Rond of Rivendell said, men are weak. So we cannot suffer from idealism. And in fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in Life Together, about how it's, it's idealism that will destroy a community and that it sets standards higher than God's. Christ is pleased to gather a flock of sinners, uh, but the idealist has higher standards than that and therefore has, has no room for imperfection at the first sight of a crisis, that community will crumble. Idealism is very dangerous. Instead, what we see here is that love has depth. It has backbone. It has strength. It's able to, to bear with flaws. And it means that we see very clearly one another's faults. But we forbear with those faults. We deal with them. We don't ignore them. We address them. But we do so with love and with great empathy, knowing our own hearts very well. <clears throat> and that means, for example, that we are sinned against... We're not destroyed. We understand and we forgive. It's love that covers a multitude of sins. It's Christians who know this better than most, that we cannot, we cannot become, um, we must be realistic. We must not become idealistic about humanity. Love bears all things. But it also says that love endures all things. Here the, the imagery is from a battle scene where there's that one soldier that is brave and stands their ground, remains there, and does not abandon their post while everybody else runs away. And so the idea here is that when times get tough, when you have a friend who is suffering, adversity, sickness, opposition, what happens to them? All their so-called friends give up. 
and they, they run away because they've lost their, their health or their job or their prestige or rumors are spread around them. And so all those friends, one by one, walk away and no longer speak to them. But what does their true friend do? We stay at their side, we refuse to give up, we do not forsake them. It's this kind of love that says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. This is a love that perseveres and continues to bear up over the long haul. And so when our friend sees all their friends walking away, but then they turn and they see you standing there, the one person who has never left their side, they're getting a glimpse into this love, a love that endures all things, a love that that bears all things. Love is not idealistic. But love is also not cynical. Notice what it says here as well, that love believes all things and it hopes all things. Again, here we have two words, but really one idea. That love believes all things means that it, it thinks the best that can be thought of this other person or the situation. It's looking for the best and it rejoices in the best. Many times it's easy to think the worst of another person and to become suspicious. We think of a relationship that's falling apart and the trust begins to crumble. And when that happens, everything becomes symbolic. It can get to the point where a spouse can say to their spouse, good morning. And the other one is thinking to themselves, what on earth do they mean by that? But love is different. Love puts the best construction on what that other person has said. And what they have done doesn't try to read into it because it believes all things. And it hopes all things because it sees a glimpse of something greater and is actually rooting for that. It does not take each failure as the final word of that person and say, you know what, you're never going to change, I give up. The greatest love stories are those where where love overcame. It had to forbear. It had to endure. And it did so because they believed and they hoped in in what could be. We think of Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice, where Lizzie had to overcome those first impressions that she had of Mr. Darcy, had to overcome gossip, false information, and the motives and the actions that she had misread. But most of all, she had to overcome her own pride and prejudice. It's love that powers through those things. It's love that endures failures, but it's also love that believes and hopes in success when others cannot and when they they walk away. Think of verse 13 and how this, this chapter ends. It's faith and hope that are part of this abiding triad and show us why it is that love endures. Because love is resilient. It sees what others cannot. It doesn't give way to cynicism. Think of Paul writing those letters to the church of Corinth when you and I would have said that's a hopeless cause. Why does he do this? It's because he loves them. And because he loves them, he, he bears and endures what the church of Corinth is in the moment, but he also believes and holds for what the church of Corinth will be one day. You see what 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us, that these are the things that separate real love from its cheap imitations. There's no one that talks or sings or pretends about love more than Hollywood and the recording industry. Are their relationships marked by commitment and depth and trust and hope? Think of when uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, some of you know where it's Pepper Potts, or Chris Martin, the lead singer from Coldplay, when they split up, they said we're 
We're not divorcing. We're not breaking up. We are. This is conscious uncoupling is what they called it. Well, you can pretend that that's what it is. But you see, that's just an imitation love. But see, the deeper question is, why do we let these kind of people shape our views about love? Why are we taking their words to articulate what we understand about love? The best types of love, the best scripts and screenplays are found right in our churches with couples who have been married 40, 50, even 60 years. It's seen in that person who has been ministering to their neighbor unseen for decades. This is seen in the church of Christ. And it's the real authority on love that tells us that the true love is seen in what it is able to absorb, in what it is able to deflect, what it's able to envision, what it's able to see, that love is not idealistic. It bears and endures all things. That love is not cynical. It hopes and believes all things. That real love, true love, is as tough as it is passionate. It is as determined as it is emotional. It has grit. It has, it has ballast. So we need to take up this call to love. As God counts love, and love is all about character. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13 reveals the character of love. Love is what we do when a friend of ours or a family member, uh, when their life gets hard. And those valleys stretch out in dark and in deep ways. And you see, they cannot afford for us to be petty or shallow or too romantic, or too skeptical about love. We can show them by our love that we are disciples of Christ. So let us be about the work of bearing burdens and enduring weaknesses and believing in and hoping for what can be. It is because life disappoints us and people fail us that love is so important. But it's because of the power of God's grace that we can believe in and hope for what others will be and for what can be. And of course, we see this in the gospel. The gospel is all about love. Love is the, is the fountain, it's the cause, it's the very fragrance of the gospel. If you want to know what love is, you need only look to Christ. That love is seen in the work of Christ. And in fact, Scripture tells us that the standard of love, the benchmark of love, the demonstration of love is seen in Christ's death upon the cross for you and me. That is to say that what we see there is that Christ was willing to bear all things with regard to our sin. All of sin's curse and its guilt and its shame and its penalty. And that Christ was willing to endure all things that were required to remove that sin. Namely, an agonizing death on the cross. Christ bore our burden in order to take it away and to do so forever. Christ endured the cross for the joy set before him and for the hope of heaven set before us. But it's not just there. Love is seen in the ongoing work of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Christ continues to bear with our weaknesses. He continues to endure our failures, all of our faults, our broken promises, all of our disobedience, our rebellion, and all of our disappointments. How many offenses have you and I committed against him? It's far more than 70 times 7. But though we fail him again and again, though we make our promises, I'll do better this week, and we fail. What do we see? But the steadfastness of our Savior, that he does not abandon us, he does not walk away, but he forgives us and he refuses to give up. See, the gospel is also about hope, that we must believe in Christ's love for us. 
that Christ sees what you and I cannot see in ourselves and in one another. He sees what will be. And in fact, he has dedicated everything in his work to this work. That we're not idealists. We know our sin. We can see it. But we must not become cynics either. And as Christians, we must confess that what Christ loves, he loves to the end. And a love that it could accomplish all things with regard to our sin can accomplish all things with regard to our sanctification. If a crucified Christ reconciled us, how much more will a living Christ renew us and reform us and renovate us? If we believe in what Christ has done, then we must also hope in what Christ will do and what he promises to do, as we read in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Christ has already shown you on the cross what he was willing to bear and endure for you. So you must take him at his word of what he will do in you by his spirit. The love that sacrificed itself in order to to make you acceptable in the sight of God is the same love that will make you acceptable for the presence of God in heaven. If it was love that drew Christ to the cross to save us, how much more will his love draw us to his side in heaven? Do you really think, after giving so much, that Christ is going to walk away from the work that he started in you? He's not finished with you. But he continues to love you and to make you into what you will become. And what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us about love is that the reason that Christ forbears with you, the reason that Christ is so steadfast in his work in you, is simply because he loves you. The Savior who refused to abandon you at the cross and what you needed him to accomplish there will not abandon you now in the work that he needs to continue to do on your behalf to make you perfect. His love will persist. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He sees what you will be. And so he perseveres in you by his Holy Spirit. Christ believes in his work and in his power, and in his love. In the greatness of love, Christ began this work. In the faithfulness of love, he will finish it. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us with regard to what we must do, what we must be in this world that longs for true love. And so we pray, Father, that as we seek to imitate Christ, as we seek to walk in his footsteps, that people would see something of Christ in us. And therefore, not praise us, but praise him. And seek him. And love him. Oh, Father, do this work in us. We cannot do it ourselves. This love, this supernatural love, is that which comes from your spirit and comes from the heart of God as you work in the heart of us, your children. Help us then, Father, we ask. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction.
For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.